คือเออ Welcome to the annual biology youth of AE three weeks and counting. Now I want to talk about uh, December 23, 1988. In an Intercontinental title match, Hunter Selmsley defeated Mark Miro to keep the Intercontinental title. Um, Rocky Maya Villa defeated Salvatore Sincere. Cybernetico and Piroff defeated the New Rockers, Leaf Cassidy and Marty Jannetty. Bret Hart defeated Fake Razor Amount in this episode. Um, gotta see, uh, Mark Miro <clears throat> not only did he uh, lose this match I think he lost his temper again Showed another commercial for their CD with the um, WWF superstars of the commercial for it, their new CD. <coughs> From the way it, from the looks of things, look like uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley had beaten Mark by pulling his tights or something. First time he misses that corkscrew moonsault off the top rope. He does go for the. Um, pedigree on Mark. Oh no, you lost fair and square. <clears throat> Mark was just mad that he lost. Okay. Interesting how uh, Talking Talk Man is doing a bunch of um, 
Let's do a commentary right here. <clears throat> so... Even more so makes me excited to start, um... The year of, um, 97 in a couple of days. Robert is doing to it. For him, it's unethical and it's questionable. Right before they went to commercial break, he threw fake rage into a still, still post. I don't remember ever seeing him do that before. It's really interesting to see this transformation in him. He does win, but he doesn't let go of the whole one, two, three, four. Surprised they didn't reverse the decision. <clears throat> okay, then they interview Shawn Michaels. Um, Let's see. Well, of course, we're getting closer and closer. With your opportunity to once again gain the World Boxing Federation Championship. Yeah, less than a month. Psycho said supremely confident. I've never seen him so confident. Yeah. And you're repeating what your attitude seems to be a, a little different from that of Sid. A little different, maybe a lot different from that of Bret Hart's. Go to the end of the year, or the last episode for them at least. Bret Hart and Savio Vega got disqualified against Farouk and some called Steve Austin. For, it had to be Bret Hart because he can't control himself against Steve Austin. Then Hunter Selmsley defeated Flash Funk in a non title match. <clears throat> Jerry Lawler defeated Goldust by countout. I'll just pause it and come back. Okay. 
Final Raw, 1996. They were at first match to show a commercial of two fans being ready for the Royal Rumble. Had the second match of Vince McMahon interview Shawn Michaels. second so I can say this. That's what's missing from today. Remember at that time and then when I was a teenager and then when I was entering into adulthood I used to always announce the live event shows. And they did the same thing for TNA Impact Wrestling. That's another thing that's been hurting the company. Not promoting live events on TV. Let's go. 
Beyond shaping the bottom of the barrel. I'm not showing my class, but I can't. 
Malcolm. Actually, I'm glad they both came out. <laughs> glad it ended Sid Vicious Tonky. Well, Sid Vicious did, do, did start a fight with some rifles. They had to be pulled apart by referees, by agents. And they plug that Starburst is the advertiser for um, Royal Rumble Fruit Quest. Starburst Fruit Quest. Out here for to do guest commentary for the main event is on our sound show. Point in time, I'm not really sure if anybody knew or how many people knew that Marlena was actually really married to Goldust, so it really helped um, build to them facing each other actually at the Royal Rumble match. So, uh, that was the end of the show, and that's how um, go back for a second. So what happened? He started fighting with Hunter, and he got counted out. So that's the end of it. Uh, thank you and goodbye. Okay. Hello, this is Daniel Vaughn with Daniel Vaughn's. Views of 83 weeks and counting. WWF. In your house. It's time. The first match was Flash Funk defeating Leaf Cassidy with the belief of the 450 Splash. Before Owen Hart and British Bulldog defeated, defended their titles against Fake Diesel and Fake Razor. Ramon, Fake Razor Ramon, there was a question about the way they had been getting along and if they could coexist. But what the biggest story was how, um, British Bulldog and Stone Cold Steve Austin had a problem from, uh, earlier in the day based on what happened on, uh, on a TV show called Superstars. Where I almost assaulted Stone Cold on that show, so that was the biggest um, story going into this match. So somehow Diesel put it, well, he found himself, fake Diesel, found himself against the steel post. 
And, oh, and I guess the referee was checking, I think the referee was checking on fake Diesel. No, it was Ramon. He threw right, he threw right, fake Razor into the steel post so that he could go in and help uh, Bulldog. Right before Bulldog got Jackknife powerbombed, Anna comes in with a, I believe we call it a mule kick to knock uh, Diesel that off the on the ground on the mat. While he did that, Bulldog held on so he could do a jackknife cover and they keep the titles. After the match happened, out came Stone Cold and he went after Bulldog's knee, and he was able to get him off. So. What's interesting is how he didn't just have one hard family member as an enemy. Now he had a brother-in-law too. So it's gonna be so. Looking back at this, I'm actually glad that the uh, pay-per-views were not as bad as the TV shows. That way we have. That way I had a few. Um, a few shows to see at this time that I could that I could uh, know what was going on with when we weren't watching um, Raw. So next match was Mark Miro trying to regain the Intercontinental title from Nurse Helmsley. He didn't win the title, but he did beat Hunter Selmsley by countout. He didn't really get what he was looking for, so he threw him back in the ring. He had him with a shooting star press. In his mind, that was enough, so he left the ring. Next, in an Armageddon rules match, The Undertaker defeated the Executioner when the Executioner... Do not answer the count of ten. So this was a renamed Texas Death Match. Next, Psycho Sid, after throwing Bret Hart into Shawn Michaels to knock Shawn Michaels off the ring apron, he pinned and beat Bret Hart to keep the heavyweight title. Then after the match, Bret Hart blamed Shawn Michaels for the loss. He pulled John Michaels' shirt over his, from the back all the way over his face, and they start hitting him. Right, 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 until the referees pull him off. That's how the show ends. They did, they did talk about the, usually talk about the aftermath. There's no aftermath here, which I find interesting. Next night, uh, they actually cut up, they actually did do a interview, interview segment between Bret Hart and, uh, Jim Ross. My favorite thing to do when I do these um, episodes, and I see how people didn't, 
didn't, uh, talk, didn't write the, um, other segments down. One thing I love to do, I love to include the, the other segments, which in this case was a promo.
Okay, so now we know what was said. First match we know is a no contest. Means that it's not likelihood before I took the mute off or the sound off. Yeah, Bret Hart caused it on contest when he assaulted, uh, got in a fight with Steve Austin. He said earlier, there's no rules. That's what happened, all right. Put the sharpshooter on him. Steve Austin. Referees, everybody 
trying to get him off of Steve Austin. They finally got him off, and, uh, well, the ref two referees are checking on to see, see if, see if he can stand up on his own. But he'll fight, he would find a way. Period about, um, We know about the rest of the um, matches. Uh, the Man interviewed Shawn Michaels after he interviewed Tycho Sid. Um, I really not too sure if I ever really want to hear like any time Tycho Sid talks. I don't don't feel like to talk because he. After one, after hearing him cut one promo, they had to restart live. Let's think, let's think I want to uh, hear him talk after that. So, keep this going a little bit longer, stretch time, play the interview with Shawn Michaels. This is a advertisement for the new CD. <clears throat> yeah, I sort of rewind a little bit because I preferred so much. I got, got past the first sentence. Thank you. 
Okay. Now, anything else? Okay. Like Ans interviewed. Probably about a finisher. Let me say that. Probably about the main event that I spoke about earlier. Okay, so he thought he was better than his rep. They do the karate fighter start a mid final. Probably uh, Jerry Lawler was a part of it. <clears throat> Let's see who wins that. So, so I've been thinking about this. Obviously, Dad turned it on one night, and I thought it was a, and I thought it was a Sunday instead of a Monday. Interesting. He beat him. Was <laughs> it for the fact that this was a just uh, a game like you play with the kids? I would say that was it for that. I'd say that the reason he lost was because of her beauty. But I can't make that kind of a joke because this is something kids can play. <laughs>
<laughs> you wouldn't want that. Works tougher than him. <laughs> well, people, Goldust comes out here to help him. So, this was really interesting because, as I recall, there were two women who came out during the main event. Wait a minute. Talking about learning the lines between real life and fantasy, I think this is Billy Gunn's real life. I mean, even today. for this a little bit. See what happened. Uh, I don't know exactly what happened, but... He did come back eventually and became Rockabilly with, uh... 
fucking cunt, man. But right now, they made it look like he had some type of neck injury. That's an interesting, uh, thing to look at. Okay. Alright, that's the end for this episode, and, uh, later on in the week, like, probably Friday, I'll talk about, um, Monday Nitro in 96 and 97, the beginning of 97, and I'll talk about Raw in the beginning of 97, talk about the beginning of their paper, their, um, their Monday night shows and build up to their, um, pay-per-views that year, beginning of the year. Thank you and goodbye. Hello, uh, welcome to Arcade Sports and Entertainment. Uh, I just finished, and this is your host, Daniel Vaughn. I just finished seeing the ending of the Extreme Rules pay-per-view. I gotta be honest, very shocked. Not shocked, but surprised. Um... Building up this, uh, this Extreme Rules mixed tag match where only one half, winner takes all match, excuse me, only one half of them has to get pinned to lose, the, lose both titles, and I, um, how else do I say it? But just to be honest. Um, why? Why would you take a time like this for Brock Lesnar to come out, cash in his Money in the Bank contract, and regain the Universal title? I realize that that's the name of the contract. That's what's been its uh, hallmark of that title, for, uh, of that briefcase and contract for the past 15 years. But why would you pick that for um, I said oops, I, I didn't realize before. Um, when I was a teenager, I never knew that Batista, uh, used an expletive without a microphone in his hand at the entrance ramp, and I said, I said because people may be so tired of the BS on T on WWE TV that they don't watch the WWE Network pay-per-views. Well, people who don't watch that, um, right now, they are airing a recent WWE 24 documentary about Batista. And they're showing some clips from his time as you know, in in his prime, 
uh, when he when he was an associate of Triple H's, as well as being the uh, the WWE Heavyweight Champion the first time. And at one point, they showed when he had, his hair was longer, um, and he was in and a part of Evolution. They showed him with Triple H. And Triple H was in a straight clothes, white, nice white dress shirt on. And he, he said the F word. And I don't know if it was to the, to one of the opponents or if it was to the audience, but I had no idea he actually said that in, in a house show before. So that's why I said ooh like that. I was really surprised at that. Um, on the other, going back to the Frame Rules pay per view, I was also, I'm also, uh, aside from them make, aside from them wanting to possibly use the quote, quote, the club as more of a group. Um, than before, and possibly add another member that prob possibly um, Ben Balor as members of the club because he's a friend of theirs already. Um, wasn't aside from doing that. And wanting them to have a big, uh, a big storyline. I also don't know why they had, uh, AJ Styles beat, um, Ricochet for the US title after Ricochet just won it at the last pay-per-view. But, um, greatest thing about the about the current product is that unpredictability is becoming more um, normal. So even though some of these um. You know, some of them are disappointing. They're very uh, good as far as being surprised. The more I go back, I would not, um, I would not want to keep the Universal title on Lesnar that long. I would want to keep him. Uh, Universal Champion until SummerSlam, because the more you have a title on Lesnar, and he keeps it, but he doesn't show up for a certain amount of months, the less value that title has, whatever title it is, the less value it has. That's why... When AJ Styles had the title for a year, I said, let me restate that. When he 
beat JBL's record as SmackDown Heavyweight Champion. That's why that title reign made the title bigger because it had more meaning. When you show up possibly three or four times a year as champion, does it does the title does nothing for you and you do nothing for the title. That's why I don't understand them doing this. I understand them doing it. I don't understand them doing it with uh with Brock Lesnar. Based on this, um, with the understanding that that Rollins had a, had an automatic rematch, which they which um they don't give anymore. But they would still have um rematch clauses in uh in contracts, in title match contracts. Then I would understand that he had he equally had a chance of getting it back, but now with no automatic rematches, how are they gonna you know do this without disappointing the audience? <laughs> anyway, it'll be interesting to see Monday. I mean tomorrow night and uh, and SmackDown Live Tuesday night, especially when I believe. SmackDown this Tuesday night is going to be the first night of Eric Bischoff being being uh, in charge of. I say in charge. It's going to be his first night in his new position, but neither one has full control because Vince McMahon still um, has a final say. So it's going to be interesting to see how both shows are, or how both shows, um, how different they are, because, um, before, um, you, before, all you knew Was that Brock Lesnar was going to um, eventually regain the title because he had the the golden ticket, his money in the bank contract. But now that his manager... uh, is head of, is director of the uh, of the show makes everything different. So I'm very excited. I'm actually, you know, these are things that we get upset at or disappointed in. In the past, when taken to account how everything is different than it was, okay, last time a Money in the Bank successful 
money in the bank cashing happened. Um, I'm trying to really say this um, without sounding like I don't know what I'm without sounding like I don't know what I'm talking about. The last time something like this happened, and it was it was disappointing, but it wasn't um, something you could really be mad at because of um, what the because of what um. It meant for the show was when this happened to Seth was when Rollins did this to Lesnar and Reigns back um, when Rollins won the Money in the Bank contract after quote breaking up the Shield or or dismantling the Shield I think was the word he used and I thought. Um, I was it, it was exciting because um he was on he started his own path as a singles competitor and we were really um or I really thought he wasn't gonna last long. And the amazing thing was that when he last, and when when something as um, scary as tearing his knee, I don't know what happened, but between tearing his knee and coming back, something happened where when he came back and he had to redo everything, it's like use that old expression, it cooled his jets to the point that even though you expect him to be a heel, just the way he carried himself and everything, you had a feeling, even before he made his return, and even before Jay McMahon made his return, and even before um, they made it clear that they were gonna, Stephanie was gonna try to get along with her brother again. Even before all that happened, you had a feeling, or I had a feeling, that his heel or kill turn was not going, or his heel character was not going to last like he did before he hurt his knee. So, what I wanna say about this is, just to make a point of how it can be big or it can be um, disappointing. Well, I hope that um, instead of I'm trying to think. I'm sorry, I'm really struggling with words right now. 
instead of um, instead of making it um, difficult for Allens to get a rematch, which I think I think them stopping automatic rematches took the fun away from seeing a new champion. Because what better way to solidify a new champion's uh, reign than having him defend the title against the former champion? So that's going to, like I said before, it's going to be really interesting. But I hope they don't um, make him go through hoops. I also hope that what Baron Corbin did, hitting his finisher on Becky Lynch like that, I hope that's, I hope they don't continue that because, okay, it's not, I know it's, I know it's never been right, but we're, we live in a day and a time where just like people shouldn't see bleeding just for the heck of it because of the things people are exposed to today because people um, are exposed to things like People wanting, people being um, born a male but thinking they are the other gender. Because uh, people think, because of that being a reality today, when you have somebody that is really a female get a hit by a male, that is. People, kids, already grow up being confused because of transgendered um, people. And call that being phobic, I really don't care what you call it. This is my view, and I'm going to speak it the way I feel. You cannot have that. I don't care how much uh, you change the WWE needs now. They don't need to go. How do you say that? They don't need to go so far back that they forget how different society is. Last night in AW, all or not, uh, fight for the fallen. When somebody bled, it did, it wasn't a lot of blood, and it didn't look like it was planned. It looked like it was an accident. <clears throat> like the blow to the eye put hit a blood vessel or something. 
But it did not look like it was a plan. It didn't look like it was planned. So things like bleeding just to do it, or things like male and female violence, that is something that never should have been allowed. Especially a move like the end of days. That really, I mean, when you have a man, I don't care how slender Baron Corbin is, he's still six foot five. He could hurt, hurt her based on his height, and uh, based on how big he is, he can hurt a woman. As uh, as small as Becky Lynch is, he can hurt her just by putting his hands on her like that. That's another reason why it's unacceptable. That's why I hope they don't continue that. Now, I believe they used it to get uh, Rollins upset because that's her life girlfriend. So it helped in it helped um, served its purpose as far as why. Um, What good came out of it was that she had somebody set up for her, and that was her boyfriend. But to do it just to do it is unacceptable. Matter of fact, this match was designed for it to be man-on-man, woman-versus-woman. So that's why I'm glad that it was handled the way it was, because they need... So, they need to show boys the importance of standing up for girls instead of uh, instead of being um, I'm actually try struggling with the words call it toxic masculinity masculinity is not toxic in some cases, it's necessary. And this is one of those cases. Can't have a man doing that and getting away with it. So that's why I'm glad handled it in the, in the way they did, because the person um, assaulting the woman got beaten up a little bit, and that's that's what they need to see. Okay, let me get to the purpose of this, uh, get to the purpose of this, um, episode to talk about Monday Nitro starting October 28th. Now, play the song of Nitro. Okay, so start uh, as they usually did with. They had the Nitro name, and um, I believe we used to call this 
Um, it's like in the dark, so it's almost like shadow of the name going up or towards the uh, um, ram. Then they had the uh, fireworks go off and them welcoming us to the show in Phoenix, Arizona by Tony Schiavone. He said, talk, talk about a shocking turn, turn of events last night. Talk a little bit that we have New World Tag Team Champions, the Outsiders defeating Harlem Heat, becoming World Tag Team Champion. By the way, because Kevin Nash took the, he talked Carol Parker into handing him the cane so he wouldn't do him any harm, and Parker handed him the cane. So because of Kevin Nash using the cane on TV Ray, we have New World Tag Team Champions and the Outsiders. Hollywood Hogan keeping the title belt against Randy Savage. The most top shocking turn of events at the end of the program when Roddy, Rowdy Roddy Piper came out. You could see either shock or fear and Hogan's face when the only person he never beat in the WWF um, comes out in its Piper. And no matter what people want to say, including Hogan himself at that time, Piper was, in many ways, he, you couldn't call him a bigger draw, than Hogan, but you can say he was for the Hills. He was, and e he was as equally as big of a draw for the Hills as Hogan was for the Babyface. And as far as uh, Hills, greatest Hill of all time. I mean, I love Ric Flair as a Hill. Thought always thought he was entertaining. Um, but there's just something about Roddy Piper that he just out even outshined the things that Ric Flair could do. And right, and Ric Flair said when Piper died, that Piper had talent beyond belief and energy beyond belief. So that is about the best way to describe it because. There were times where he would not only rant, but he came off as very hyperactive, almost like a, almost like hyperactive kid. Um, so that that about sums up Piper. The best way to describe him is was and would still be when you look at old videos of him, energy beyond belief. And the fact that he could come up with things on the spur of a moment just by talking, nobody had to write anything for him. He could just come up with something, and it it, it was so perfect 
that it made you, we were just amazed and we'd even laugh sometimes at how good he was. Like, when he started his, quote, feud with Hulk Hogan on TV and the early 80s that led to the first WrestleMania, them being on MTV when it, it was actually brand new at the time. Roddy Piper being the hell that he was, all he could think of saying, the first thing that came to his mind was, what is that, music to vomit? And when I heard that, I said, it was funny because of how blunt it was but it but because that that fits MTV I said perfect what <laughs> if I didn't want to put that I don't want to thought of something like that so yeah you could say talent beyond belief is another word is another expression to use to describe them and so much talent it's like it's unbelievable things he was able to do Anyway, let's get back to what they were saying. <laughs> and Tony said as he was talking to Hogan, some very startling words bantered back and forth between the two. Later on, they're going to show what was said between the two during the second hour of the telecast. Larry was saying the Stanley World Order is growing stronger. And now they have the heavyweight title, the tag team titles. Um, I think Six already said he was going to soon have the cruiserweight title. And uh, I think they already took the heavyweight title from Ric Flair. So they had possession of the U.S. title even though he wasn't the real champion. So, yeah, big-time stuff. And this is not what WCW needed. But at least we've got uh, maybe a superhero in the making who came out of the woodwork. Competition for Hollywood Hulk Hogan. And Zabisco said that Piper's movies were better than Hogan's. He said at least Piper's movies are better than Hogan's. first bout, I believe, was George Steven Regal beating Quinto Guerrero to keep the TV title. Diamond Dallas Page at the Diamond Cutter on Mike Enos. Jim Powers um, submitted to the Texas Cloverleaf. Um, Cordy Malenko to keep the Cruiserweight title. Ricky Morton lost to Jeff, submitted to Jeff Jarrett's figure four leg lock. Hugh High Voltage and the Amazing French Canadians wrestled to an no contest when the Nasty Boys climbed over the guardrail so that they not only, um, get physical one of these two teams but also put a promo 
about how they felt being lied to by Hogan and assaulted by Holland Nash when they tried to join the NWL. And then they ended with, in the words of Michael Buffer, let's get ready to rumble. So next, Remisterio Jr. beat Jimmy Graffiti with the top rope uh Hanrana. Then Eddie Guerrero lost to uh yeah, Chris Mob beat Eddie Guerrero right here. Uh Lex Luger. Uh, walked out of their out of his match against Booker T to go look for um go talk try to talk to Sting. So he lost by count out. Um I know that at some point right here Yeah, they had a pre inserted uh Promo done by Colonel Parker about um, what he did at Halloween Havoc. He said something about um, Sister Sherry, how she would handle uh, the about how she could get Harlem Heat to calm down, but what he did not realize was she was. As upset with them as Harlem Heat was. So that was a mistake right there. I don't know if that was this time or not. But it's an interesting, um, but it is an interesting thing to look at. Okay, I'm not gonna waste any time talking about what they said. Let's talk about the matches. Marcus Alexander Bagwell, still a part of the American Males right here. He hit a running crossbody on Brad Armstrong to beat him. And Diamond Dallas Page, after his buddies Paul and Nash hit his opponent Ice Train over the back with their t- newly won title belts. Well, first, Ice Train got upset with them, and he was, I believe, the word we use is jaw jacket, or I just like to call it fussing at. So he got turned around and Paige hit the diamond cutter on him for the win. And Nick Patrick kept on constantly getting in arguments with uh, Chris Jericho and and uh, Teddy Long. And here was another argument right here on the outside. They show replay of what happened. 
Then, uh, I still find it interesting, even after all these years, and especially finding out the real-life story of Diamond Dallas Page, why he went from being, um, big, uh, hateful, mean, ill, to being, um, the being almost like a hero to WCW in a lot of ways. I really still find this amazing because even though he was slowly becoming popular with the fans because of how, because of not just his talking, not just his ability to talk and having the charisma in that department, but because of uh, Eric Bischoff being smart enough to tell him, let the fans get you over. And all it really took was really just him being himself, improving in the ring, and uh, the diamond cutter at that moment in time was the, it became the hottest, uh, move or most popular move in the in WCW or WWF for that matter. So you could say it became the most popular maneuver since the DDT. As a matter of fact, a lot of people, including the originator itself, Jake the Snake Roberts, he told uh, DDP one day. On the phone, congratulations on reinventing the DDT because the second he hit it, you knew it was going to be over, just like the original DDT was. So all that is very really interesting to look back at and talk about. But what really pushed him? What really pushed his? Uh, popularity along was his refusal to join the NWO. And that, that I am glad I decided to keep with this until I was able to add this on a launch pad. This is very important to talk about. Okay. They were asking right here as a go to commercial break, will Eric Bischoff sign the match? And they claim that they're going to have an announcement from Portland, Oregon, which is where Piper lived. And they said it's much, that's going to be coming live and much more along with that. And they come back from commercial break and they not only show for uh video of Saturday night and say that and say actually they say what's well, gonna happen Saturday night. At six oh five Eastern time and they start saying it's gonna show up. Jim Duggan's gonna go against T V champion Lord Stephen Regal. 
The amazing French Canadians go against Harlem Heat. Um, and tonight they have a cruiserweight title match, which I um, think I already spoke about that. Oh no, from the last time. Okay, next match: Scotty Riggs. Um, I think. I think Marcus Bagwell was a little disgusted with him and his inability to being his inability to get um any momentum going in this match. So going back in the ring, next thing you know, he's submitting you know, the Texas Cloverleaf. So he starts. Arguing with Riggs outside the uh the rain. And uh next Hector Guerrero I uh, don't even think he has an has a full blown out mat a full blown match. Uh, but I think he lost to Chris Benoit. Yeah, to see this, because I really don't remember what happened. Uh, this will be... Um, a two-part match. I mean, a two-part episode, because I don't want uh, this to go to an hour. Excuse me. Ten seconds left in the uh till the second hour of this telecast happened. I used to like to see countdown. So this is really exciting this is really fun to watch. Match still going on. Okay. Hector Guerrero almost won with sunset flip with counter to back flip by Chris Benoit. The cradle right here to kick out. Okay, Hector Guerrero with an inside cradle Chris Benoit kicked out. Pulled into the corner, Chris Benoit, kicked to the stomach.
brave uh, Hector Guerrero at put Benoit on the top turnbuckle. I'm trying to remember what happened. And he was kicking it back up and down until he fell off. Uh, pushing with his feet up and down. That's what it was. Went for a, a back and forth. He rolled back and forth with him. Well, I believe what we call today a uh, abdominal pin or abdominal abdominal stretch pin. Went to pinfall one. One man actually moved with uh, messed with Hector's hair. The referee not looking at her, not seeing it. Excuse me. Gets rolled up by Benoit. One. I think even before Benoit put the his foot on the rope, got the three count. Well, the next match was Aina Jabuki versus Medusa in a quarterfinal um, women's title tournament match. Buki, by the way, had a mask on, so I think she came to Mexico. I think Medusa won this match with a German suplex. Here it is right here. One, two, three. And with all match, there was a female wrestler with uh, Awasani Ono named Zero, and she had face paint on. don't know why they called her Zero, but it was interesting. Okay. Michael Wall Street next went against Chris Jericho. I don't know if it's uh, because of Chris Jer the charisma Chris Jericho showed when he became a heel, but uh, when he became a heel, at this point in time, he um, was a baby face, and as a baby face, being brand new to WCW, he, that being Jericho, anybody who was not a heel in WCW never did have um, freedom with much. More, more importantly, they didn't have any freedom in how they acted or spoke. And Jericho had said that that was the worst thing about being in WCW in the beginning was he had to be squeaky clean instead of being himself. But I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was when he spoke or it was just by coincidence, but I believe that after he became a heel, his merchandise for his, his ring tights were much nicer than they were before. I don't know if it was... Coincidence, but I believe as he became a heel, his tights were nicer, and I just find that interesting. 
Not that these types were ugly, they just weren't um, types I was used to seeing him with, or remember seeing him wear. So, it's interesting to see them. Even more interesting was how uh, Michael Wall Street had a singlet on, but he had pants on at the same time. It's in the ring with Jericho. Jericho beats him with an inside cradle. Chris Jericho is arguing with uh, Nick Patrick's attorney again. It's after his match with uh, Michael Wall Street. There's a show replay. Missile drop kick to Michael Wall Street. Wall Street gets out the ring and then the inside cradle. One, two, three. No shoulder was up that I could see. They even have tights, so there's no nothing for Wall Street to uh, fuss about that I can see. So, show my today with the uh, attorney. And I think Patrick. Chris said, everybody here and everybody at home knows it. Patrick, there is nothing wrong with your neck. And on top of that, you are a paid employee of the NWO. We all know that too. He puts the mask on Saturday night, referees their matches. Which at that time, uh, they had, haven't seen any videos on YouTube of Saturday night from this time, so I really don't know um, well, what the referee looked like, so I can't say. But the truth, later on, which is a subject for another episode. And the, the attorney said, Mr. Jericho, your wall does appear to be tumbling down. Is it not true, Mr. Jericho, that your father was an NHL hockey guru? Is that not true, Mr. Jericho? He said, yeah, we won't go there. It's nothing to do with my father. This is between you, you, and me, and everybody else here. Then my Canadian I mean... Long comes back out. And then Teddy Long, I don't know if it's a good idea for him to do this because of uh, what he did as a referee a few years before that. But, um, in, as a matter of fact, that's what the, ref, that's what the lawyer said. Sounded like a crooked attorney to me bringing up what Teddy Long did as a, as a referee. But um, what he did as a referee, I found out, was actually by mistake, not, not on purpose. So that really has no bearing on this. 
Jericho is saying that what Nick Patrick has been doing as a referee, that's a premeditated plan against everybody in WCW. And he thinks that says it all. Or Mike Jason, I think that takes, I said, I think that says it all. So he ended the segment and he said, he said, Tony, back to you or Eric, back to you. So, next, Booker T in a rematch from last week against Lex Luger. Colonel Parker came out at one point, and because of getting on the ring apron when he didn't need to, Booker T almost hit him. Oh, I forgot that Tony was doing commentary from beginning to end because of Eric Bischoff supposedly being in Oregon. So, yeah, he. So, yeah, he was doing the full show. Anyway, because of Parker being on the apron, Booker T caught him by his suit, by his coat. He was about, like he was about to hit him. And he got rolled up and he loses again. This time to like Sluger. When I do the second part of this episode, I'm going to say what ended up happening on a... Uh, Um, trying to remember. Oh yeah, we're doing second episode of this. Gonna talk about the rest of this and talk about uh, World War Three, the pay per view. Yeah, I believe yeah. By the end of this, we find out who the quote mouthpiece or the person behind the NWO. I already found out Hogan was the uh, leader of the NWO. Be able to get all these things happening for them. They needed more than just um. They needed more than just um a win at um Fall Brawl. So you 